Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means God. Hosanna means God saves. God does. Let's hear from Luke chapter 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, Let's all say this together. The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Let's say this together. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again as we seek to live into Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Save us again. Save our very thoughts of what it means to be saved convert our hearts, draw us into your flourishing life, your flourishing that comes through a most unexpected path. We love you and we praise you. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. A few years ago, I had the incredible, incredible opportunity to go to Israel And let me tell you what, it lived up to its billing. It truly is a holy land, as one of my colleagues, Benters, said once. I had the the opportunity to walk down a road called Palm Sunday Way. And it's, it's meant to, you know, trace that path. And as you come down the hill and there is hilly country you do drive up to jerusalem still and you go past those jerusalem pines and you go up on the hills and then as you come down through the kidron valley area there you decline on a hill and jerusalem is in the distance and it starts to look bigger and bigger on the horizon 
Now, the walls that are there now aren't the originals. I think they were rebuilt by the Turks. But it's still, there's pieces of it. Of course, the, the Wailing Wall has original pieces. They're still finding stuff in around Israel that's original to the time. It's an amazing place. But the awesomeness of the place is for real. And as our king makes his way in, we imagined the silhouette of this man on a donkey. It was the hope of everything and everyone. I have three parts of this sermon today in good Presbyterian fashion, good Trinitarian fashion. First, we're going to talk, talk about cults. Then we're going to talk about praise. And then we're going to talk about tears and consequences. Part one, the cult. The idea of a ruler on a cult, on a donkey, reaches all the way back to Genesis. See, this is a whole part of a matrix of understanding. There's a code here that's going on. But it doesn't have to be secret. It's all in the Bible itself. Genesis 49, verse 11, predicts a ruler will come, a ruler who doesn't just rule the land of Judah, but actually owns it. A ruler who will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. This is the first of several Old Testament echoes that tell us that this simple approach to Jerusalem by Jesus is really the approach of his king to his city. It's his place. Now again, silhouette of the man on the donkey coming into his place. Who would have thought, right? Jesus sends his guys to a village up ahead to untie a donkey that has never been written. Here is yet another hint from the prophet prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, where the prophet declares, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, having rescue lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the way the Old Testament describes rescue. This is the way the Old Testament describes God's rescue plan. The way God will put things right. The way God will save Israel, save the world through this sociocultural matrix of Israel. This is how God arrives. So when God, the Lord, Jesus, sends these guys into the village for a donkey, it's a subtle but powerful sign. And if it's not clear enough in the moment to them, we get this little bombshell, which you read. Jesus tells them, basically, if anyone asks you why you are taking the cult, here's what you say. Tell them the Lord needs it. Bam. Bam. A seemingly insignificant task has an outsized meaning. The Lord needs it. When we walk with Jesus, 
We always prepare the way for our king. It's our full-time gig. We do that in one way or another, even in ways that can seem so insignificant. You know, it could be cutting up those avocado slices to make that taco salad for your neighbor. Avocado slices, the colt. You could be inviting a family that you know with young ones to our Easter egg hunt next Saturday here at 10 a.m. You could be part of that egg stuffing party. Go and stuff those eggs. The Lord needs it. Getting your colt means taking some action in obedience to Jesus in order to give a path for him to ride into someone's world like he owns it. Because he does. We do this just like they got the donkey because the Lord needs it. There is no task so small. There is no moment so insignificant that our Lord cannot inhabit it as a sign of his reign. There is no task so small, no moment so insignificant that our Lord cannot inhabit it as a sign of his reign. Here this sign of his reign is a donkey. What is yours? The king needs a donkey. It's the time we give a friend who is in a tough place. Even though we don't have the time, we give him or her that 20 minutes because the Lord needs it. It's the use of a resource God's given us in order to help someone in need, like even a car ride to a doctor because the Lord needs it. It's that skill God's given us to serve someone in their need. It could be plumbing wrenches because the Lord needs it. You've heard me say we have a bunch of wonderful kids in our neighborhood who would like to come to our house and play in our garage. And dad cleans up the garage afterwards because the Lord needs it, right? It's that space for the children to come so they can ultimately meet Jesus in some way, right? He can ride in, show up through that garage space to meet them when they play on the piano and play together. Acts like these echo what the early disciples did when they went and got the cult. Don't underestimate even the messiest of tasks. He rode on a donkey after all. A smelly hairy those of us who are allergic to cat dander can you imagine I had an encounter with a donkey once in Albania it was weird that donkey was a little scary but our Lord that's how he rides he rides in on our giving he rides in on our serving He rides in on our words of love and words of truth to a world in need of both and so desperately need of both. He rides and he rides. So they go and they get the cult and it's all just as Jesus says. Because you see, here's the secret. 
What our king commands us to go and do to serve his kingship, our king provides. What our Lord commands us to go and do to serve him, he provides. He won't ask you and me to do anything that he won't provide for us. We obey in his provision. We obey in his faithfulness. He tells him to go and get what was already there. Verse 32, they found it just as he had told them. And so as we move in obedience to make way for our king, we can count on our king to give us what we need to obey. Perhaps the biggest hindrance to staying on mission for our king is getting too caught up in ourselves and our limits and our capacities, our mood. How am I going to find a cult? I'm not good at handling cults. I'm terrible with animals. What if that person gets mad when I grab that donkey? What if the donkey gets mad and kicks me? How will I handle that? We're free to serve our king when we remember. He will give us what we need to obey him. So we can move with confidence, not in ourselves, but in him and his kingship. Whether we're dealing with cults or taco salad or Easter egg hunts or children and the space they need and the messes they make. We bring it all to Jesus. He's on it and he's in it. And in he rides. That is how he rolls. So that's part one. Go and get the colt. What is your colt that Lord, the Lord Jesus wants to ride in on in your life? What is he telling you he needs? Go get your colt. That's part one. Part two, praise. Part two is praise. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives again, that's a 2,700-foot mountain just east of Jerusalem in the Kidron Valley. And I've gone down it on that road, and it really is. You go into a valley. The mountain is associated, again, this text is full of symbolism. That mountain, mountains in general, are associated with the coming of the Lord. So the fact that he's coming down off the mountain... Blinking lights and flags and whistles and bells going off for us in biblical code. When Jesus rides on the colt down the mountain into the holy city, as people spread their cloaks before him, all the code is out there plain as day to see. The king is arriving and the crowd goes wild. The phrase, blessed is the king, is from an Old Testament psalm, 118. It's a psalm of royal entry. Here it mixes with Zechariah's prophecies of the Messiah. And it gets into this stew, right? This wonderful stew of, of hope. Joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles he'd seen. That's a theme in Luke's gospel and Luke's follow-up work in Acts. When people see God work, they praise him. And God's ultimate work, of course, is found in the personal work of Jesus. Now, some of the Pharisees... Tell Jesus, hey, rebuke them. They're not, they're not getting what's going on. They think the disciples don't get it. But in fact, they don't get it. And Jesus tells them this. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus embraces the worship and praise his followers give him. Jesus declares 
that what is happening here is unstoppable. Even the stones will shout it out. All creation exists to worship the king. Voices and noises will try to shut it down and smother it, but the worship will go on and on and on. The chilly wind this morning isn't going to stop springtime. The grass will keep growing. New life is still shooting up out of the ground. Nature testifies. And in our lives, that is true too. Voices and noises will try to shout our praise down. Life's harsh realities are going to yell at you. I wonder what has been drowning out your praise lately. Health concerns, anxiety, a body getting older, a body getting heavier, habits you can't break, people who've hurt you, disappointments. What is shutting down your praise and smothering it? What are the Pharisees in your life telling you to shut up? Praise is inappropriate. Discouragement, job trouble, depression, negative voices, addiction, cancer, death or a memory of a death. These are real things. And they'll try to define us more than God's inbreaking rescue and salvation in Jesus. And they'll try to smother our praise. We don't deny the toughness of these things. They are painful. And we're here to support each other in that. And if you're in that, we want to support and love you. We struggle and cry out to God through them. That's in the Bible. But we also praise. We praise because we know what is going on here is so big that in everywhere, every corner, God is still at work to save. I was at a little wedding, a sort of a pre-wedding blessing on Friday uh, up in Arlington where the granddaughter of Jesse Nathans, as some of you know, um, she had a pre-wedding blessing ceremony for her and her Irish husband to be, David. I've done premarital with them. Her dad, the, uh, Jesse Nathan's son, Joe, is suffering with cancer. And so he cannot make the trip to Ireland where they're going to be married. And so we had a little pre-wedding blessing service on their porch. And it was awesome. Just a few of us. And let me tell you what. It was one of the best things I've ever been involved with. It was just so beautiful. The Lord was even there. Even the the stones and the mulch was crying out in praise of God. As we get to stand in the face of cancer. In the face of of after a relationship that's been over over the waters. Across the pond. Gathering together and and celebrating the, the blessing of God upon their matrimonial plans. The mulch cried out. The stones cried out. Praise is reorienting. I don't know about you, but I get disoriented every day, probably every hour with all that we have thrown at us and all the stimuli we have that life throws at us. Praising God, giving out a Hosanna reorients me. It sets me straight. Praising the Lord gets me looking in the right direction again when I get lost and off, off my focus. Sometimes we need to praise the Lord now and feel it later. It's like our bodies then shape our minds, right? So we praise and we praise. 
Let's say, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Doesn't that help? Doesn't that just help get you? It gets you on the right path. That's praise. So get your colt, praise. And then there's part three. We didn't read this up front, but I think it's important because it is contiguous to the passage. The passage ends in a jarring way. I think I need to go there. The king in the next verse after the praise cries. Jesus weeps. The king sheds tears. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Ministry will break your heart. That's not some sentimental idea. This is theological. At the very heart of the incarnation, at the heart of God's willingness to put skin on, is the fact that the triune God of grace is willing to endure a broken heart. It's amazing how quickly our text moves from triumph to tears. And it's not tears over the, over the fact that he has to go to the cross. It's not his tears over enduring the cross and dying and excruciating death. He will struggle with that in Gethsemane. That's coming. But these tears are rooted in a people's failure to receive the peace that God offers. He says, Jesus says, verse 42, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Even as we get our, we get our cult, whatever that is, taco salad, Easter eggs, invitations, phone calls, to watch him ride into people's lives. Even as we praise with beautiful music or even just quietly praise on our own, people miss it. And even if, even, even we can miss it, right? We have to fight to stay on track. That's why we do this and we remind ourselves we will tend, we will tend to want a Messiah who will save us on our own terms. As one scholar put it, the donkey was the mount of a man of peace, a merchant or a priest. A king might ride a donkey on occasion, but he would more likely appear on a mighty war horse. Old Testament prophecy saw Messiah as the Prince of Peace. The Galilean disciples, now streaming up to Jerusalem for the Passover, knew that Jesus had done many mighty works. They had for a long time watched and waited for him to proclaim himself as the Messiah of their hopes. Now they saw him as doing so. He was riding into the capital in a way that fulfilled a prophecy. He was showing himself to be the Messiah But they did not stop to think about just what kind of Messiah he was presenting himself to be. The we and I, we and all of us need God to constantly convert our expectations about how we think he should save us. You and I and everyone need God, the Holy Spirit, to constantly convert our expectations about how we think he should save us. He wasn't going to do it their way. And as a consequence, they would reject him. And as a consequence, the whole city would be besieged. And it was later, Jerusalem was besieged 
This is the rest, the rest, the rest of the text goes. There's a realism here about the world and about ourselves. There's an undeniable mystery to how all this works. But the sense is that the more we say no to God's yes in Jesus Christ, the harder and harder it can become to hear that yes. And we go through the no right into the dark and the consequences are dire. Just as Roman forces would later lay siege to Jerusalem, there are forces that seek to lay siege to our hearts and minds. So watch out. And watch him. That's why we're here on Palm Sunday to say Hosanna. To praise our way out of our disorientation and reorientation. And go out and get our donkeys. Whatever they may be. That our king will ride into the world his way. Saving the world in the way that only he can. We keep praising and praising the one who rides on whatever colts and donkeys were summoned to get in his name. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Say it together. Hosanna in the highest. Go get your donkey. Praise the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.